Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Integrated Interventions Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler C., and today on the show, we are talking about family resources. Joining us in the conversation today are Chris Garrett, our program director, and Corey Kuheana, the director of operations. Now, before we get into uh, the family resources side of uh, this episode, can you all speak a little bit to what you all do here um, in your prospective positions at Integrated? Well, in regards to family, I guess, uh, but I mean, you might you might catch me on a phone call or um, giving giving parents an update here and there um, with stuff. Um, I I can be contacted through email or through um, a scheduled call. Um, but I mean, for the most part, my job is is a lot to do with the structure of what what happens day to day with the students. Um, as far as that, I I keep up on. Uh, how the program is running as a whole and just individual parts of that. Uh, Chris and I both do meetings with students weekly uh, to make sure that everything's going okay and we, we feel like they're heading in a solid direction or being navigated well by the mentors. So mm-hmm. in a nutshell, it's, it's more so what I can do as a, a family resources. Um, I kind of take in the information from what's happening through the direct mentoring process and being able to um, get a summary of that and and just report back to the parents and kind of hear their concerns with what's going on and and that's essentially what Chris does most of the time with with parents as well so not yeah. to steal your thunder but yeah, yeah. thanks a lot let him speak for himself jeez yeah jeez no uh similar to Corey I do a lot of parent phone calls meet with the students a lot we do a lot of uh you know when we're talking finances with the students when they're earning money that sort of thing they'll they'll bring that to me um just also in terms of a lot of the behind the scenes running of the the company mm-hmm. uh, especially in idaho is kind of my role so okay. um so one of the things that we wanted to talk about as you all spoke about meeting with the students weekly um uh, on a previous podcast we, we spoke about what it looks like when a student first comes in um, in the assessment phase so um, when a student gets here and even before the student gets here uh, they go through this time where we're kind of building their custom fit program but after that's established, after that's relayed to our mentors, after we're working on those things, can you all go into a little bit of the growth process? Like, what does growth look like? Because it's going to look a little bit different for our students, what it would look like for a, let's say, neurotypical student who's currently in college or currently in the job market. Um, what is growth? What is the growth process a lot of times for uh, our, which is individualized even for our students? I'll let, I'll let Chris answer most of this one. But for me, I think the thing that people don't often talk about or maybe um, it doesn't get – oh, sorry about that um, – it is maybe how it really goes in the beginning uh, of getting to know a new student, um, getting to know families. Um, that first couple of months, um, I'm not looking to see any real uh, growth. It's more about um, acclimating to their new environment and to the people they're working with. So um, really the intention behind that is to get to know the student well enough and start to peel back um, some of the long-term behaviors or struggles that they've they've had and the reasons that they're coming here. Um, and I think a lot of people have this expectation that it's supposed to go well super quick. Um, and when you're talking in, in terms of long, long-term treatment or this transition between um, childhood or you know, being a teenager into adulthood, it's not a quick overnight process. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's not so much that we don't want to see progress quickly or that we can't. It just, it's not within human nature to change overnight. 
Um, and so usually the first part of that process for me is, is getting to know what I can see and then uh, monitoring and um, documenting and keeping track um, while I observe behavior. Um, because what we'll get reports of is sometimes only one perspective. And a parent's perspective is, is very different from what any other person is going to see. Um, I mean, we all know from being kids ourselves, you know, what you present to mom and dad is a lot different from what you're going to present to other people in your social setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you might not, you know, uh, say certain things to your parents at home, but when you go to school, then it's okay to say some of those things. So mm-hmm. that first bit is really getting to get the student comfortable and acclimated into the environment and to a point where they don't either have a choice or have felt comfortable to expose kind of what their struggle is. And then from that point on, being able to make a solid plan because we can we can make all the plans we want um, before meeting them, and we can have a good idea based on what the parents give us. That's very valuable information. Um, but how they react in this environment could be totally different from how they react in an environment they've been in previously. Um, our program's very um, proactive in getting our students out and doing things when and maybe they don't come from that maybe they come from a more structured regulated program mm-hmm. we're able to use that freedom in a controlled way um, and we I think we gain a lot of more information out of that process of watching a student choose certain things to do in their environment with freedom it gives us a better you know uh, compass or direction in where they're really going while they're with us mm-hmm. um, so that's a it's a very crucial time I think that gets misunderstood with my student isn't doing well. Mm. Like, that's not the point. It's, it's let's see what we have here. Let's see what we're working with and how we can best move forward with that process. So to me, that's the first step in, in that growth period is, is feeling comfortable um, in your surroundings and our team having a chance to get to see and know that person for ourselves. Yeah, yeah for me, it, it comes back to expectations, I guess. Mm. Um, oftentimes we have students come into the program and parents have one expectation an education consultant might have another expectation for growth and then a therapist or former psychiatrist has an expectation for growth and they're all different um especially different from what the student expects to gain from the program so so when i'm looking for growth it's looking for growth within the student's context not within these other entities because everybody has great ideas and everybody has these great expectations uh what it boils down to is what does the student want and if the student doesn't want to meet the expectations set up by other people, mm. you're you're going to view that as a lack of growth as opposed to seeing that person grow in setting boundaries by saying, I'm not going to do what you want me to do with my life. I'm going to do something different that I want to do. So it, a lot of it comes down to perspective for me yeah. when it comes to that. So I think a hard thing, too, and we talked about this a little bit on our um, the first episode that we covered family resources on, but disengagement from the family side or from uh, the guardian side or whoever has been taking care of this student for um, these years, it, it, on on the, uh, the first one, we talked about what it was, what it's like for um, even us as people with families to disengage when we need to, like um, you all disengaging to a certain degree when you, when you send your kids off from school um, so I, again, I definitely encourage you all, if you haven't heard that first episode, to go back and listen. Uh, but can we speak to that a little bit more? Um, uh, disengaging, um, what does that look like in a healthy way uh, for our parents or for our guardians? Uh, that's a great question. So I think when I think of parents disengaging, I, 
I feel like they need to disengage from whatever role they were playing prior to the student entering the program. Mm. A lot of times the parent will be engaged as the the savior. Like I need to swoop in and save this person by doing X, Y, and Z. Mm. Or they're in this role of I'm the only person that, that they can talk to. I'm the only person that understands my student. Um, disengage from that role because that often that role often has a, a, a piece of why the student is struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that part needs to shift to the program. So, so for me, that disengagement is don't completely disengage from your child. Obviously we want you to have a healthy relationship, but disengage from the negative roles that you were playing before. Mm. Yeah. And one of those things more particularly is lies in the area of responsibility. Um, you're not responsible for what an adult chooses to do any other day of the week. Mm. Um, you know, if a stranger comes up and commits a crime, it's not your fault, you know, even though, <laughs> you know, that person that you're in the vicinity and like you didn't cause that to happen. And, and I think, you know, with the students and, you know, speaking from a parent's perspective, I, I understand the difficulty of um, having kids of my own of trying to distance yourself from the responsibility of your children. But, you know, there is an age where where it becomes unhealthy. And when you're a legal adult and the world and everyone else has expectations for you to fulfill, and as a parent you're coming in and you're removing that responsibility from them and you're placing it on yourself, um, it's a it's a growth stunter. Like mm. it stunts the, the student from being able to understand uh, the, the negative feeling that comes with not being able to fulfill your responsibilities. And I think it's hard for parents sometimes to feel like their, their student can handle that. But regardless of how you feel, it has to happen. And so it's, I, I think it's just about separating and defining that line for yourself of when am I encroaching on um, that growth process? When am I doing too much? And, and our team, I think, has, has got a very keen um, eye when, when it comes to those specific situations. So also there's this other element of... That's another, it's another tough thing, but it has to happen is this element of trust, Mm. um, trusting in the team that you've chosen to send your, your student to, um, that they are making the correct decisions and that there's probably a reason, um, why they are telling you something or they're not telling you something at that time. Mm. Um, none of us desire to keep any parents in the dark, but at the same time, there's, um, there's things that aren't as important or things that are non-emergencies that parents are quick to want to jump in on Mm. that they shouldn't. Um, and it's for that sake of growing and in that student handling that responsibility on their own that, you know, is, is why they shouldn't. Um, so we get, I mean, that anxiety is a, is a tough thing to combat, but at, at some level, like this really works best when we have a certain, um, commitment to trusting one another, um, through that process and, and working that out. And it seems like that also kind of translates into our team as well, there are certain times where uh, there might be uh, a student who is escalated, and so we have to um, insert a different mentor in that moment and have the other mentor be able to disengage from the situation. Um, can you all speak to what that looks like on our side? Uh, let's say, for example, when, when a student is in crisis, um, why sometimes even even in house we have to disengage a lot of it has to do with emotional attachment so mm-hmm. you know i can think of a good litmus test for parents if you are emotionally or physically disturbed because your child is emotionally or physically disturbed that's an unhealthy mm-hmm. level of attachment 
Um, and the same goes for mentors, uh, teachers, you know, uh, of students, whatever that looks like. So if we have a mentor who's emotionally involved and emotionally escalated at the same time as a student um, and they're feeding off of each other, then you, you definitely need to remove that mentor and insert somebody that's not emotionally attached to mm-hmm. that situation or that moment. That's really difficult to do if you have a parent on a phone with a student who is also emotionally charged and the student's emotionally charged. You can't remove the parent in that situation and you can't remove the student because that, that can turn into a battle, you know, mm-hmm. a, a power struggle, which makes things that much more difficult. So, so that's a good test for parents. If, if you're noticing that when your student is uncomfortable in any way and it's impacting you emotionally to the point where you feel like you need to reach out and tell somebody, um, aside from just saying, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this, but reach out and say, you know, what are you doing or why is this happening to my student? Because I'm upset now Mm. that that's a good litmus test. Like that's when, that's when a parent needs to start working on their own, their own emotional side of things. Um, because it's an unhealthy attachment to another adult. Yeah. Which is another thing that we definitely wanted to talk about what it looks like, um, in the families on the family side of things like self care, um, and even, even, even therapy, uh, we've had parents in the past who um, were going through that process on their own. Um, there are specific therapists or I don't want to say programs, but groups in the country um, that speak to having a child or having a loved one in programs. Uh, could you all speak about that a little bit, about what the self-care side looks like for the families? Well, it, I mean, it can be it can be anything, but... Th- Therapy is probably paramount, number one. I've, mm-hmm. I've been around to different conferences, and there are therapists out there that specialize in working with families who have a student in treatment and working with the, the parents. Um, it's not a resource we offer. We, we don't have a counselor that's going to work with you as a family to cope with the struggles of your student being in treatment because mm-hmm. it is hard. I don't, you know, It's definitely a difficult thing for families, um, but they need to be working on, on that on their own because I guarantee your student is struggling with it much less than you are. Mm. Um, and the more that you struggle with it, the more power they feel in terms of getting out of their uncomfortable situations, which stunts growth ultimately. So, so reaching out to, to therapists that have an understanding of what this, this treatment world looks like is really helpful um, because there's a, a thousand therapists out there that don't know what this world looks like and mm. haven't had experience with it and really can't understand what you might be going through. Mm. Yeah, and and since the parents are just you know as much as part of the team in in um, you know their child's treatment, um, what I would say to any team member that worked for us or mentor is um, one of the first questions that we ask in in our interviews of when um, hiring people is what do you do for self care? Um, and it's essential to us continuing to do our job well. Um, so outside of the realm of therapy, what are you doing to enjoy your own life? What mm-hmm. are you doing to um, recharge your battery, so to speak. Are you, um, getting out and, you know, socializing enough? Are you getting out in nature enough? Are you being, you know, balanced and centered in your own, um, whether it's spiritual or, or mental or emotional life? Like, are you doing things that, um, are putting you first? And I think that's another tough thing to do as a parent is to, to feel maybe not guilty putting all of that attention into yourself, but Mm -hmm. it's for the benefit. Like you can't, um, as a team member, you know, if you're not working out and taking care of yourself and doing what you're supposed to be doing to make sure you're in tip-top shape, then you're not going to be as useful to the team. And if anything, you're going to drag down, um, and you're going to be a detriment to the overall progress of something if you're not self-caring. So, um, I think it's it's a vital thing for parents to do just as much as while they're they have this time that they're 
um, loved one is in treatment and all of that, that um, they need to, to be focusing on maintaining their own happiness and their, their own life because it's from that place that you're going to have a clearer perspective and be better equipped to help your student. Um, it's not going to come from a place of perseverating night after night wondering whether your child's going to be okay or not or whether they got the food they liked or, or you know, did the hike they went on, was that too stressful? Did they hurt their ankle? I mean, the, the, the questions are endless um, when you're stuck in that, uh, you know, thought pattern. So being able to step back and really just take care of your own, your own needs mm-hmm. and, and feel like you're, you're doing that and you're in a good place, I think is super important. Kind of, it's kind of like that, you know, when you get on an airport, they tell you to put the mask on yourself first and then assist somebody. Mm-hmm. If you're not breathing, it's pretty hard for you to assist somebody else in their breathing. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and to put it in perspective, your student, if you're listening to this, most likely you're either considering a transition program or they're in a transition program. And the transition is from childhood to adulthood. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's the hope. So you need to be making as a parent your own transition into parent of a child into parent of another adult. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is a very different relationship. It needs to be. Yeah. And if, and if you find that you're engaged in any kind of parent-child relationship at this point, then then you have some growth to do on your side in, in treating your used-to-be child mm-hmm. as an adult at this point and being okay with them making stupid decisions because adults do that all the time. I mean, it's very, very normal. And don't be surprised when it happens, mm-hmm. especially in a transition mm-hmm. program. It's how we learn. Right. We're, we're not here to buffer them from all the you know scary things in the world we're here to introduce them to these things and help them navigate it Mm -hmm. to learn more about integrated interventions feel free to visit us on our website at integratedinterventionsllc.com you can also give us a call during the day at 208-651-0095 or reach us via email at info at integratedinterventionsllc.com All right, we're back in the conversation, uh, speaking on family resources. One other thing that we wanted to talk about um, is how families deal with bad feelings, how families cope with um, their reality. And we know that each individual um, here at Integrated comes with a different set of circumstances, um, a different set of family circumstances. But there's this reality that a lot of times we might hear about where um, parents ask how to cope with the realities um, of their situation, whether it be uh, their family history, whether it be uh, just a child um, in in a program. Um, but Chris, can you speak to that a little bit? What does that look like uh, in a healthy way? So I'm sure most parents of students that come into programs are aware of coping skills. Mm-hmm. That's probably, they've probably heard it, you know, a thousand times from different therapists that work with their child, um, maybe their own therapist in, in terms of talking about your own skills as an individual to cope with negative things. So, so when we're talking about parents specifically, um, a lot of negative emotions can come up while your students in treatment. If your student's not following the plan, mm. if they're, you know, going off the rails for one reason or another, um, or if they're choosing a, a route or a path that, that you wouldn't choose, um, in your life. So, so what are you doing in your daily life to cope with negative emotions? Um, and it translates over to the kids that are still at home or with your, uh, parents who you may be taking care of at a later stage in life. Like there's lots of different things. So, 
So when I think of coping skills for parents, it's around the board. Like, what are you doing as an individual to, to cope with your own personal life circumstances and disengaging from that thought that you need to help your child cope with whatever they're going through? Because at that point you're, I mean, you're already not going to be effective. So, so you got to work on yourself. You got to, you got to develop your own skills to, to calm down. Um, and, to, and yeah, to really calm down, work on your emotional regulation. Um, and that can be, it can be anything. I mean, people use meditation, people use hiking, people use, um, you know, zoning out and watching Netflix for a couple hours, whatever, whatever it looks like for you to, to really get your emotions in check. That's what we're looking for. I think a lot of it goes back to the, you know, the self-care piece of that as well as, um, you know, I, as we understand for all students and, and human beings in general, you can't really stop yourself from feeling something. Um, but learning how to cope with it and learning how to address that, whether it's, whether it's therapy or, or finding something to put your energy into that's healthy. Um, that's kind of what it's about is about channeling that, those feelings into something productive, um, or something different or figuring out ways to, uh, feel something else and not just that. So to me, a lot of it is, is if you sit with it long enough, it's just going to keep growing. You know, if, if all you're doing is constantly thinking about that and you don't take, uh, the effort to interject something else different into it and try to change it, it's, it's always going to be what it is and it's going to continue to get worse. But I think it's just something that you have to do as a, a person that's trying to maintain some sort of positive mental health and um, positive emotional energy is to, to channel that somewhere else. Because if you don't, then, you know, um, oftentimes we, we see how it consumes other people and they get caught in a, in a, in a process or, you know, some emotional trap where they're, they're kind of stuck and they develop bad habits. So we want parents to thrive just as much as our students. Um, because you know, the healthy whole is, is way more important than just taking care of one piece of it. Um, and obviously all of these students who are transitioning to adults will always and forever be those, uh, you know, somebody's son or daughter and a family member in that community. But Mm. everybody's got to, to work on themselves during those processes to, to stay strong. So yeah, a big, a big piece of it is acceptance too. accepting the fact that, um, your child is growing up, Mm. accepting the fact that this process is hard and that there's going to be a lot of emotions and being okay with the fact that your student's going to struggle while they develop their own, uh, sense of purpose in life. Um, I think we've all been through that to a certain extent as, as parents and as older individuals, we've all had to go through difficult times to change and to become the people we are and accepting that that's going to happen with your child. And that's going to be messy at times is a huge piece of that because once you accept that, like truly accept it and internalize it, then when it happens, you can, you always can go back to, Oh, I I knew this was going to happen. I knew they were going to struggle and, and I'm okay with that because it's part of the process. It's not something I have to react to. I've been through it and and I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to me, that's, that's the best way you could, start to approach taking care of your child in a different way. Um, because if you don't take care of that part of yourself, then it's going to interrupt. It's going to disrupt something that that child's learning. Like for the sake of, of your child growing into an adult or, you know, your adult learning how to become an adult, you need to do it for that. Like if you can't figure out that you need to internalize that for yourself and all of that, like at the very least, if you're really concerned about the growth of another human, then that's, that's what you do that for. That's what that self care is, is I need to be in a better, a better place and, and a better place of growth. I need to be in a better mental state to be able to handle these things for the fact that I need to be there for my 
my student or my my child um, mm-hmm. at the end of the day and and I think there's different ways to frame that and different perspectives that can allow you to accept it is what it is and, and move on from there. But, um, I mean, that's the great thing about therapy is you have somebody on the outside being able to, to kind of give you a better perspective of where, of where you're actually looking and, and maybe uh, helping you unravel some of that. So, mm-hmm. What about, um, so most of the time when a student comes in, there will be a 30-day calm hold which is really we talked about this um, on the on the previous um, uh, installment for the family resources um, series, but after that thirty days, when you're kind of reestablishing co- uh, communication with a student or for parents, um, what what's a healthy way, especially if, if parents are working on themselves, if they are um, really trying to uh, go about this in the most healthy way, what? What's a good approach to continue or to bring back communication uh, with a student? Space it out, structure it. Don't don't get back in the habit of talking to them every day. Mm. To, I mean, number one, it's just weird. You don't you don't need to talk to your kids every day. Yeah. If if you've got kids living in your home, then yeah, you want to touch bases with them every day, right? And and be a good parent, a good role model. But once they're transitioning into adulthood you shouldn't be the person directing their life. Mm. You, you shouldn't be talking to them every day. It, it's not healthy. It, mm. Number one, it, it causes a student to feel like they're still under the thumb of parents, which invites them to rebel, yeah. um, which they may rebel against parents by rebelling against program or rules or whatever that looks like. So, so really it's easing back into it and, and then maintaining a healthy level of that, which once a week, once every other week, calling for an update, seeing how they're doing. Mm. You know, if you find that you're talking to them every day, then something's wrong for mm. sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a perspective that you're trying to, to develop on your own as a young adult that's coming into this. You are trying to build um, your own perspective and your life and your structure up. And I think the thing that kind of taints it is if you have a parent come in with the same perspective that you've grown up with and you're continuing to hear that perspective uh, it's not the most accurate look and way to grow something that is developing into your own way of life. Mm. Um, so it's not that it's bad to talk to your parents. It's it's ruins the process that they're in now. And, and realistically, I mean, um, I think it's great to have a, you know, set day on, the, you know, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to call you every Sunday and we'll just check in. And the subject matter of that should be less about what your personal inner turmoil is and it should be more about like hey what'd you do this week mm-hmm. it's okay to say you had a bad week but you know that bad week should really pertain to like ah, oh, well i had a rough week at work um you know i maybe a couple social things fell through um but other than that i'm doing okay you know this is going on but it, it's it's uh stuff you'd normally talk to people about and you'd want to talk to your parents not like hey you know i'm you know that i'm in this program and I just want to let you know I, I feel super depressed all the time, just like I did before, and, you know, just continually dragging it in, and what should I do? Um, you know, we want them to start seeking out resources and that aren't the same old resources they've had, mm-hmm. um, and we want them to learn how to tackle those problems with the assistance of, of other people, but ultimately on their own. You know, we want you to call the therapist. We can call a therapist all day for you. You know what would be really cool is if you decided to um, pick up the phone and do something about it yourself. And not only that, but instead of us just telling you who to see, maybe invest a little bit of time and find a real genuine connection in that person that is going to be giving you therapy and actually do some great work. Mm. 
Um, so I think the more opportunity they have and the realization that they have to, that I have to do something on my own, um, is, is just super beneficial for that growth period. Um, and, uh, I think it, at the end of the, the time is as much of a struggle as it may be for some parents and families to do it. You're going to see a lot of positive benefits and a lot of better conversations on the phone coming out, um, mm -hmm. that are more centered around, look what I've accomplished, not look what I you know, I'm, I'm struggling with all the time. And those conversations are going to, I think, do wonders for um, the people who have them and, and are able to see that progress of like, wow, that's the first time I didn't hear 30 minutes of negativity. Maybe there was like five or 10, but well, it's really cool that they they listed some of the things that they actually had a chance to do without me interfering. Right. And that, that, that goes along to the healthy separation piece too. Like if you find that your phone calls are always negative, then then why call? You know, why are you calling to feed this negativity? What What's the point of that? So if, if you're not able to redirect your student into focusing on more positive things during a phone call, then end the call. Mm. Um, it's totally appropriate to say, hey, man, I don't I don't want to talk about this right now. This, this is dragging me down. I've got other stuff to do that's mm -hmm. that's more important. And frankly, so do you. You have other things you can go focus on if you're upset about X, Y and Z go do something about X, Y, and Z. I'm not fixing it for you. Mm. And then we'll talk next week and see how that went for you. But otherwise, like there's no sense in me listening to negativity. Yeah. And do you think it's hard for parents to do that because of the feeling bad or yeah. um, dealing with those, those bad feelings? I think feelings? it's a number yeah, of guilt, reasons. Guilt, guilt feeling, too. yeah, feeling bad. But also just, I mean, as, as a parent myself, I want to help my kids mm. nine times out of 10. I want to jump in and either do it for them or tell them how to do something correct. Um, the harder part is letting them fail so that they can figure that out on their own. Mm -hmm. Or maybe after they fail, they'll, they will listen to my advice at that point. So, so it's just being okay with that process and, and accepting of it. Another thing that we run into a lot is what it looks like when, um, students go back home or, go visit family on a trip or on vacation or over the holidays. Um, what, what should those, and, and again, each situation is individualized, but what's a healthy way of, um, I'll say inviting your student back into your home um, as a parent who has been, um, you know, supporting this young adult for their entire life. And then, um, they're, they're giving that position to someone else. They're trying to um, uh, walk through life in a healthy manner, communicate in a healthy manner, and now it's time for that student to take <clears throat> the next step and, and go back and visit um, that family home or go back and go to Disney World on vacation and to be, actually physically be around that family for an extended period of time. Uh, what does that look like in a, in a healthy way? Well, I can, I can tell you right off the bat, if, if your family patterns haven't changed, mm -hmm. then don't expect the, the visit to go well. Mm. Um, you can expect that maybe your students gain some, some decent coping, coping skills along the way and might be able to cope with those patterns a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But ultimately speaking, if the fam family patterns are the same, you're likely going to have a similar outcome to a lot of the other, uh, explosive family get togethers you've had in the past. Mm. Um, because it's so much easier to fall back into those old patterns than it is to utilize your newer coping skills to deal with uh, people that you love and have engaged with your whole life. So, so for families, 
be working on changing up the patterns, especially the negative patterns in your family that have led to some of the, the outbursts in the past. And if that's changed and your student has a new found set of coping skills, then you've got a, you've got a better recipe for, for a positive uh, meeting with your student. Well, and a lot of the times, too, it's just, uh, um, I don't know, I, I can't think of a better metaphor for it, but and I don't want to be disrespectful to people who do really suffer with this, but in, in some cases it's, it's the equivalent of an emotional war zone. Like it's a lot of where the blowouts happen. It's, it's PTSD related where um, here I found myself in the same kitchen where this happened again. And yeah. here we go one more time with, with all of this stuff. So you're not, it's not so much that, you know, um, I would, I would say that certain students could do that. And I would say there's a lot who we would recommend to not, not be reinserted to the home uh, at least immediately mm. or for a long-term period. Some people, it just doesn't work out. And, and so when we do have those home passes, a lot of the times we'll recommend a destination pass, mm-hmm. um, which is just somewhere else. So you've removed the whole um, emotional attachment to that environment and you've put it in a new one. So it's the same people and that could go wrong. But like Chris said, you know, it's about changing some of those patterns. So if you can do some of that work, um, as a family and then you change the whole area. So you're in a place, nothing bad has happened mm-hmm. and the students got their coping skills. You know, it shows a lot. It's just so much more successful, um, from what I've seen over the years, you know, just based on, on the students that I've sent home. Um, but the ones that I knew weren't ready to go home, whether they knew it or not. And the parents, you know, I suggested maybe you should do this and, and yeah, it's an inconvenience, but I um, mean, it fell through almost time and time again. And it's cause the student, um, wasn't ready um, necessarily to come home and deal with that. And then you put them almost in the same horrible situations that you, you've done because you guys are eating at the same table, you know, 30 other fights have happened and Mm -hmm. one sibling decided to say the same thing they did last time. And well, and that's another thing that I wanted to bring up is, is, um, it's not just, you know, family's not just made up of the parents and our students. There's also siblings. There's also, um, aunts and uncles and cousins and especially around like holiday ish times um you know people tend to remember the last situation they saw you in Mm -hmm. um do you all have any suggestions or do you all have any um even just words on how to handle that as a family because it you know if you're going to a family situation especially at a holiday and people assume you are one thing um that might be rough for the family unit yeah i think it's being in those situations about being open about what's going on Mm. you know in all the years i've been in this treatment world i've noticed when students go home there's a lot of um backdoor preparations by family in terms of don't say this and don't say that around the student and 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 sometimes they're even like yeah they're just away at school and they have a little bit of help and stuff and they're not they're not up front with the people that are around that student so so when you get everybody together and nobody's on the same page, that's a recipe for disaster right mm. there. Family get-togethers around the holidays oftentimes suck anyways. Like mm-hmm. like things go bad in in quote unquote normal families. Yeah. Um. So so again, it kind of goes back to acceptance. Accepting the fact that you're getting together as a family. There's a bunch of people with different views. Fireworks are going to happen at some point, and don't necessarily blame that on the person that's been away at treatment um, for so long, and then coming back and trying to uh, use the skills they've learned in this, you know, tiny pressure cooker of a setting that, that mm. they're being placed in. Um, yeah. Spread that love around. It's, it's it goes, it goes out to everybody. Everybody. Has yeah. And, and yeah. it's also just, you know, being willing to commit to changing things up, even though it may be inconvenient, you know, if, if it's more about, 
um, your student, then go with what works best for your student. Like that's part of family is, is being there for each other. Um, if you have, you know, a large extended family and it's just not going to work out where you can really rearrange those plans and it might be okay not to see your student, then maybe you have a visit where it's after, Mm -hmm. um, those holidays, like it, there's ways for it to be worked out, but, um, trying to force something before it's ready is, is always going to, you know, usually end in a, in a negative way. And, and, uh, you really don't need any more of that. So sometimes it does take a sacrifice, I think, to, to move those things. Not everything's going to be ideal, um, in working that out, but in that growth process, you figure out what you can. And eventually some, I've seen students who never did well at home, take those destination passes, um, live on their own for a little bit, truly live on their own where, I mean, it was just a, Hey, we're just checking in on you. And then they could go home and they were set. Like it was good. They had their own perspective. They had their own, um, compass of where they were going and they weren't really intending to stay at home too long. It was like in a couple months, I'm off to college. Um, you know, there's always been a plan in place, putting a student back in your home with no plan in place of forward progression or, or a plan to do it. That, that also could be a disastrous thing as well. Um, so yeah, which, which even speaks to the model that the majority of our students, um, come into of being in their own environment. Um, we do have the, uh, traditional transition, um, house, that program, um, but our students who are ready to be on their own, um, just with some help. Um, I personally have seen um, that student who is ready for that and who is pushed appropriately and whose team um, uh, holds that student responsibly in the process and handles their side of um, what, what that looks like. It seems like that student comes out ready for um, I should say with a desire actually to go out there and to live adult life opposed to being just constantly around other people who you can mirror or who you can be quote unquote sick with. Um, I feel like at integrated, one of our strengths is holding students accountable and holding families and teams accountable for their actions and for their part um, of the situation. Uh, can, can, can you all speak about that a little bit about why we um, are a individualized program, like a custom fit program for each individual student? Well, yeah. And, and when you're talking about that, when you're talking about holding people accountable, like some of the, some of the parent calls can feel pretty harsh mm-hmm. at times um, because we're not trying to sugarcoat it. Mm-hmm. You know, nine times out of 10, we're, we're talking about the real thing. And, and if we see a problem, we're going to call it out because we feel like if it doesn't get addressed and maybe it's just our perspective and we're open to being wrong. Mm. Um, but if we don't call it out and address it, then it's just going to continue to fester. So, so I'm, I'm just glad you brought that up. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, if I've been harsh on a parent call with a parent, then, you know, I can apologize. It's, it's not personal. Um, it's really about calling out something that looks very unhealthy and we want to address it so that your student can actually gain the progress that they're looking to gain. And, and it is very customized. I mean, it's very different for, for each individual. I can, I can have students who have uh, a set of very supportive parents that seem to work well with the student and it seems to help the, the student. And I can have another student with different problems who has very supportive parents, but it just infuriates that student to have parents involved. Mm. Even though they're super supportive, super helpful, super nice, it, it, 
it doesn't help because the relationship piece is, is fractured somewhere mm-hmm. and it causes the student, you know, emotional distress every time they talk to parents, even though parents have great ideas and, and want to support. Um, so, so my phone calls with those parents are going to look very different in terms of how they support their student versus the, the parents who have a pretty decent relationship with their student and, and can uh, be more of a force in that. Mm. Yeah, and I think, too, maybe understanding the fact that because, you know, we have these parent calls and, and uh, I think sometimes, it, you know, we, are all, we all are on a team to help a student out. Um, and the student's even a part of that team and playing their own role of, of progressing and, and, you know, kind of walking the path that is set before them. Um, or that they've chosen and in, in figuring out how to commit to that. But um, I think we, I think parents need to understand that we equally want to respect your student as an adult in some of those decisions. So um, as they branch away, um, some of the things that have come up is like, you know, they're, they're starting to schedule their own doctor's appointments. Mm-hmm. Um, and as an, a, a legal adult who has no responsibility to you as a, a parent to inform you of certain things, sometimes we got to be okay with that. Um, there's other times where we understand why you would be involved and why it's necessary to have parents involved. But, um, some of those decisions may come, um, on the student's own accord. And that's great because that's them taking another step into adulthood. Um, and so as much as we, um, we are all on the same team, um, we also respect the students and in, in the same way we want to respect parents is, is we want to be, um, able to, to be a good mediator for both. Um, and, and we're not always looking to enforce maybe what parents' perspective is, um, think is the best onto the student only without their, the, you know, their knowledge or, or you know, trying to, to sell them that at some point. But ultimately, like, it's two people trying to achieve something, and, and we're going to try to do our best to balance in between that. And, and I mean, easily when a student is, is stepping out of line, we want to um, be, be there to kind of counsel them on, okay, this is maybe where you could have done something different. Um, this is where you should be going with this and, and maybe take your parents or whoever is emotionally attached to you out of the equation. Let's make this decision here is the same thing we'll, we'll do with parents of like, well, they did make this decision. It wasn't the best one. Um, but we're not going to force them into this one thing, um, because they're learning how to be an adult and, you know, parents have to respect that and trust that, we're not just doing what the student wants us to do and what they think it is. Like we've got a pretty good perspective on, on both stories and where people want to go and, and where we think um, there's going to be the most chance of success. And none of that is, is uh, decided by us um, on a personal level to the parents or anybody else. I think some of those decisions that we make feel almost personally attached. Like, well, why would you do this to me? Why don't you think I should talk to them? And it's not for any other reason than we think it's the, the most solid uh, plan moving forward or there's some very specific reason. It's not that we would like to, you know, inf- make somebody uncomfortable or feel mm-hmm. feel uh, any specific type of way about it. So I think if you can realize that um, not every decision we make or any decision we make is personally against one person. Um, it is for the overall best best of uh, intentions for the team and the student moving forward. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing all this with our families. Thanks. Thank you. 
To get a better idea of what the day-to-day -day student life looks like here at Integrated Interventions, feel free to follow us on social media. On Instagram, you can find us at Integrated Interventions, and you can also search for us on Facebook by just typing in Integrated Interventions. We'll have links to both our social media information and our contact information in the podcast show notes, so feel free to click the links to find out more about our program.